Remain standing. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 51. We're going to go old school today. Old Testament, Psalm 51. As you're turning there, I just want to give a big shout out to Sawyer and Olivia Wilson. They're on staff here at North Church, and they've been a part of this body for a long time, but they just had their first child this week. Scott Allen Wilson III, a.k.a. Trip. Ask them about that nickname. Usually you get that as you grow older. Somebody gives that to you, but no, they've already decided that Trip is the name. And so celebrate with them. Let them know that you love them. Give a shout out to them. It's week number one of Psalms of the Night. We're looking into some of the darkest, most difficult moments of the life of David. But it was in those times of struggle, of wondering, of questioning, that hope came through the words set to music. In the middle of David's pain came poems that pointed the way to Yahweh. We're going to be reading this together as a church family. Psalms 51 through 64, all of them written by David. I'm going to start with verse number one. Psalms 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Someone say amen to the reading of God's word. Spirit of God, have your way. Speak to us today. May you warn us of what a life looks like to be out from underneath your authority. Show us those places we should not be. How to turn around with sincerity of heart. Seeking after you with our whole heart. Knowing that if we do, we will find you. In Jesus' name I pray. And again, everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. I want you to think just a moment for some of your favorite speakers. 
And I'm not just talking about here on this stage or in the church world, but I'm also talking about like business people that you've heard speak at a conference or that comes to your work or just, just anyone. You know, you often celebrate those <clears throat> who just don't tell all their success stories. Because if somebody was always just telling nothing but success stories and how they got to the top, then really it's like big deal. And you really don't want to hear that. What you want to hear is you want to hear the stories of their failed attempts at their failures, but yet through their valleys, they rose to the top in spite of the challenges and the obstacles. Amen? You know, in, in the music world, oftentimes the songs that rise to the top of the charts are oftentimes sad songs. And I know classically we think of country music, right? They're just filled with sad songs. But it's not, it, they get the rap of that, but it's really all music genres. If you get to the lyrics of what's going on is that oftentimes there is sadness, there's pain, there's disappointment that is there. Whether that is rap, pop music, whatever genre it may be. And in this passage, you find David dealing with hard times. Matter of fact, over the next few weeks, he does, deals with it again and again and again, the hardness of life, the difficultness of life. I, I think of what Elton John said as he wrote the title of the song, Sad Songs Say So Much. Nobody's following me. <laughs> Elton John wrote, turn them on, turn them on, turn on those sad songs. When all hope is gone, why don't you tune in and, oh, come on, people. <laughs> I hope that you will tune in over the next few weeks to the ballads of David as he begins to sing some of his sad songs. But it's one thing to have a sad song because somebody else is attacking you. It's one thing to have a sad song because of circumstances of life that you can't control or just going on in your life. It is a whole nother thing that when you've created the problem, <laughs> when your decisions are the reason why you are there. And what we're dealing with here is that David has made those decisions and he is there. I can relate. I remember one time skateboarding with my college age kids and going down a hill at 30 plus miles an hour on a skateboard with no helmet on and reaching a point that said, I wish I could push pause. I wish I could push rewind and turn this thing around, but it was too late and it cost me greatly. In this story, David had a turnaround, but before there's a turnaround, there's a turn away. And David turns away from God. Turns away from God. So what would cause a man after God's own heart? You get that? A man that God specifically picked to be the next king of Israel because his heart was inclined to him to turn away from the things of God. What would cause that? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. First is this, the absence of authority in his life. The absence of authority. 
Now, when you look at David's life, it just didn't happen as problems with Bathsheba. It happened years before. Bathsheba was just that climax of where he was going as he had turning, turned away from God and the authorities that God has placed in his life. Go, go all the way back to First uh, Samuel chapter number 24. And I think that between 24 and 25, we get a sneak peek into what is going on in David's life. Because in chapter number 24, he is in a cave. And he's hiding from King Saul. That is the first king of Israel because King Saul has been tracking David down for 13 years to kill him. At this moment, he has 3,000 men and David is in the back of a cave hiding away. And King Saul decides he needs to go relieve himself. And he sneaks away from his security detail. And he crawls into this cave. And as he's squatted there doing his thing, David and his men are lurking in the dark. And David's men begin to tell him, oh, this is what was spoken of in the scriptures, that your enemies will be put into your hands. And they begin to encourage him to take advantage of the moment and kill King Saul so that he could immediately take over as the king of Israel. David snuck up behind King Saul, but instead of killing him, he just clipped off a little bit of his robe. But even with that small act, he felt guilt-written and convicted for what he did. As later on, he would confess to King Saul that he did not and should not have touched the Lord's anointed. But then you go to chapter 25. I mean, here he is in such a place for the man he should naturally think could attack and wouldn't do it because he wanted to stay under the authority of God. But yet in chapter 25, there's a guy named Nabal who is a rancher, a farmer, and he has like a whole bunch of sheep and they're being sheared. And David's and his men had provided protection for them for many months. And so it was rightly the custom that they would give some type of tip to him for making sure that his livestock was secured. But when David sent word to Nabal, Nabal in his anger, because an angry man had said, lashed back at him and said, I'm not giving you one thing. Who is this David, son of Jesse? When David got the word from Nabal, anger filled him. He said, get your swords. He loaded up 400 men and he swore that by the sunrise the next morning, he would be killed all of the family of Nabal. As he was going on the way, he was intercepted by the wife of Nabal, a beautiful lady, very intelligent and wise woman named Abigail who saved the day for David making a stupid decision. But what changed from this man that would respond in one way in chapter 24 to chapter 25 responding in another way? And I think the key is in verse number one. And in verse number one, you gotta understand, it's not that back then chapter 24 and chapter 25 was there. It was all just one story. It was thousands of years later with which you added chapters and verses. But in verse number one, it gives you a clue because it says this. Now Samuel died and all Israel gathered for his funeral they buried him at his house in Ramah. That's weird. Because if you go read the story, you got chapter 24 happening, this long story, and then chapter 25 picks up with verse number two, but then there's just one sentence there, these two sentences, one verse. What is going on? The writer wants you to know that there was a key event that happened in David's life, and it was those first three words. Now Samuel died. Who is Samuel? Samuel is the prophet in his life. 
Samuel is the one that's the spiritual covering in his life. Samuel is the one that's helping lead and direct. When he needed to make hard decisions, he had Samuel to turn to, to say, what should I do? And Samuel would help him make wise, well-informed, discerning choices. And he doesn't have that anymore. And David begins to go on, and these voices that were saying, kill King Saul, begin to speak more into his mind instead of Samuel's voice to do the right thing according to God. I hope that you're listening today because this is key to note. Under authority, what does that mean? It means that you're under somebody's command, influence, that you're submitted to others. And I think all of us should be able to understand this because in every area of your life, no matter who you are, you have authority. If you're a nurse, there's a measure of authority you have over your patients. If you're a doctor, you have that. If you're a physical therapist, there's a little bit of authority that somebody comes sees you with their pain that they have and you begin to coach them and help them and then you give them assignments to go off and do to return a week later or two weeks later or whatever. If you're a teacher, you understand it with your kids. If you're a parent, you definitely understand it. If you're a a financial consultant, if you're a counselor, if you're an occupational therapist, whatever the situation may be, all of us have a little bit of authority and we understand when people do not submit to our authority or not. You've been there when you've given some people directives or instructions and then they come back and don't do one thing that you said. You understand. But what we're talking about here is spiritual authority, being under spiritual direction. And there's something powerful about that because there's protection under spiritual authority. Recently, there's been some weighty decisions in our church and I have felt the load because it involved individual lives and hurts and pains and decisions that was going to influence a lot. But in those moments, I cannot make those decisions in isolation to myself. I need our elders I need our trustees. I need our overseers. I need individuals speaking into my life and helping me see more clearly. Because you know what? When you're in the middle of deep, difficult decisions, it's like the fog. Emotions are like the fog. And the thicker the emotion is, the thicker the fog is. And the more you need outside people to see more clearly into the situation. Can anybody understand what I'm talking about? But if you try to make those decisions in the middle of the fog on your own, based upon your feelings that you have, you're gonna make the wrong decisions and you need outside help to protect you from making wrong decisions. Also, this anointing, there is, and this authority, there is anointing under authority. And it's key to note, because when you come under spiritual authority, there's an anointing that comes with that. A grandson, Gideon, this week, I was with him at a park in Tulsa, and there was a certain bar set that went really up, probably about 15 feet in the air, and you go up, and then you have to step over the sledge. And he's three years of age. And he was real nervous about doing it. I said, you can do it, Gideon, you can do it. And I was kind of up at the top. I finally came down at the bottom and said, here, let me help you. I never touched him, but I encouraged him. All of a sudden, he began to grab bar after bar and step after step. I never touched him, but he soon made it to the very top. What was the difference? He found protection with the authority in his life. 
And as he began to go up, I never touched him, but my applauds were encouraging him and he felt protected. But you know what he also felt? He also felt anointed to do the task at hand. You see, because when you are called of God, you are qualified to do what God has called you to do. Because there's an anointing when you're under authority. And when you're under authority, God says, you know what? I'm gonna give you what you need. I'm gonna give you the favor that you need. I'm gonna give you the strength that you need. I'm gonna give you the insight that you need. And if you will stay under authority, that anointing will continue to come into your life. David knew about that because it was Samuel that had anointed him to be the next king over Israel. You remember the story? David was on the backside of the pasture taking care of the sheep. Samuel calls to Jesse's house and says, I'm going to come by and I'm gonna anoint one of your kids and I want you to have them all there. And when he shows up to the house, seven sons of Jesse come before Samuel and Samuel says, no, it's not any of these. Didn't you have any more children? And he says, oh yeah, I have the smallest, the youngest one, David, who's back at the backside of the pasture taking care of sheep. Which he says this, he says, you know what? We're gonna stay standing until he gets here because I know that I'm sent here. You know what that speaks to me? It says that God doesn't overlook what people overlook. There's people that might not see you, but my God sees you right where you are. And so David comes in as a teenager. And when he walks in, God says through Samuel, he's the one, and he anoints him with oil. Which speaks to me, it's not an age thing either. Come on, young people. You may be a teenager, but my God wants to anoint you for what he has in store for you. Oh, don't despise your youth. Don't, be, don't, don't think less of yourself because of your age. And it doesn't matter how old you are either, because throughout the Bible, you find people like Abraham, like Moses, that were up in their years when God anointed them for a service at hand for the kingdom of God. And David has the anointing pulled over him. That oil flows on him. To anoint is to pour on and to lay hands on and to rub in. There's a reason why we ask for people to come for prayer and lay hands on because there is that transference of anointing. It's not the issue that this person is literally able to give you something. It's that your faith is in agreement with, and when you agree together, the Holy Spirit comes down and begins to move up on the person that's being agreed in prayer over. So, But do you realize Saul got the same anointing? Samuel, the same guy, anointed Saul. But what happened? Somewhere along the way, Saul began to turn away from his spiritual authority. Chapter 13 of 1 Samuel tells the story of Saul being there and the Philistines pressing in around him and his soldiers begin to get nervous and they begin to say, we need to offer sacrifices to God. We need to call out to God. And Saul makes a bad decision. He chooses to step into his own authority instead of waiting for the authority of Samuel. And he chooses to offer sacrifices unto God, which Samuel made clear that you are not to offer sacrifices until I get there. And when he did, he walked out of authority and lost the anointing. And it cost him greatly. This is so important. Which leads me to the second thing, being in the wrong place. You see, when you walk out from underneath the authorities that God gives you, you're gonna be in the wrong place. 
This is not being where God wants you to be. And in 2 Samuel chapter number 11 and verse number one, you find David in the wrong place. Notice what it says. In the springtime of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Reba. However, David, read this with me, stayed behind in Jerusalem. Read that with me again. Stayed behind in Jerusalem. David got to the point where he'd been fighting battles most of his life and says, you know what? It's time for me to relax and be comfortable and enjoy. Hear me. The moment that you think for a second that I do not have to engage in spiritual warfare again is the moment that the devil begins to get you in a wrong place. Every day you wake up, you better put on the full armor of God. Every day you wake up, you better realize that I'm in a spiritual warfare with the enemy of my soul that's out to get me. And I've got a battle between flesh and spirit, and I'm going to choose spirit over flesh every time. Somebody say amen. Because what happens when you walk in the wrong places, here's what happened. David stayed behind. What happened? The rest of the story goes, he was taking a nap. While his soldiers were out battling, he was taking naps. He gets up from his nap in the late afternoon, goes on top of his rooftop and begins to look around because that's what you begin to do. When you are just doing what you want, you begin to look around for what feels good and looks good. And trust me, the moment that you start doing that, the devil will give you something to see. And he sees a woman taking a bath named Bathsheba. And he sees her beauty and notices, notices. The devil's going to make sure that you notice those things when you begin to stop in your spiritual battle and begin to please the flesh. He notices. And then what does he do? He sins to find out who she is because there's always a progression to sin. People that say, oh, I don't know what happened. No, 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 no. You didn't realize what was happening. But it was happening all along the way and the Holy Spirit was trying to stop you. He sends off word of who she is. It comes back to him that she is the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, one of his mighty warriors. You know what happens then? This should have been a Holy Ghost roadblock. But he chooses to run that roadblock to achieve his own desires. Are you listening? Are you listening? He sends for her, she comes to his place, then he acts on his desires, they have sex, adultery happens, then the cover-up and the murder of a husband and the lies and the deceit and the months. But be sure of this, your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. Somebody said this to me years ago and I wrote it down, it stuck with me over the years, the places you go determine the people you meet. The people you meet determine the things you think. The things you think determines what you eventually do, and what you do determines who you become in life. This past week, I had a chance to be with my grandmother. She's 94 years of age. Mentally, she's been slipping and having some issues, and that day, she was very sharp. I took her to go see her sister, who's in a nursing home, and on the way, I got to spend several hours with her, about two hours plus. I told grandma that I was gonna be preaching this weekend from Psalms 51. She lit up. She said, oh, I love that passage, Rodney. I love that passage. And then she gave me the points that I'm about to give you right now. So this is credit to grandma, 94 years of age. Grandma Fouts, 94 years of age, credit due to her right now. I said, grandma, what do you like about it? She said, oh, Rodney, I used to sing that song 
just walking around that psalm, that's a song, walking around the house, doing work. I said, what did you love about it so much? She said, first, I love the sincerity of the heart. David was so sincere. David was so real, so authentic, so... Matter of fact, if you read the passage in what we just read through verse number 11, 31 times David says, I, me, or my. And he's not saying it in a braggadocious way. He's saying it, I'm taking responsibility for my actions. I'm taking ownership of my sin. I'm gonna walk in integrity and do what's right. I'm gonna stop blaming somebody else for my own choices. I'm gonna stop being the victim and I'm gonna walk in the victory that is for me if I do what is right in this moment. And the transformation begins to happen. God began to do a work in him. You see, David broke more than half of the commandments here. He lied, he coveted, he stole, he committed adultery and murder. Besides God not being Lord of his life there. And you know what he's realizing in this passage? Is that my greatest enemy is not out there. My greatest enemy is in me. He would cry, my innermost being. I want honesty and truthfulness and integrity. Do, do you see this? And then David has a chance to respond with the Nathan comes and calls him out, the prophet of God. Is he gonna respond with repentance, with an apology to God and laying it out there or is he gonna cover up? He has a choice. On Monday nights, we've been having our, um, dealing with a class or a group that was called Resolving Everyday Conflict. And this past weekend, we had, uh, the topic was making a good confession or re apology or repentance or saying, I'm sorry. We have over 200 men and women that come to that class. And this week was the seven A's. How many were there? How many there? Seven A's of, uh, of making a good confession. Address, avoid, admit, acknowledge, accept, alter, and ask. What us men, because we're separated the men and the women, what we men admit to is that we men have a tough time admitting we're wrong. How many of you are talking about? I, is it just me? You're gonna leave me hanging out there in the island all by myself? We struggle with it. Women, I don't know if you do a whole lot better, but I know men do struggle. I was thinking about my nephew, um, Carter. Carter, who has three older brothers, and they're all just like 13 months apart. And when Carter was three years of age, his brother next to him was five years of age, and the five-year-old had really mistreated Carter. Mama found out about it and really scolded uh, his brother and, and, and got onto him and disciplined him and then said, I want you to go apologize to your brother, Carter. So Keaton goes and I hear him say he's sorry to Carter. He says, I'm sorry, Carter. And as he's walking away, Carter, with tears flowing down his face, looked up at me and said, he knows sorry. <laughs> Don't we innately know when people really aren't sorry? And if we can sense that and feel that, how much more does God really know if you're repentant or not? How much more does God really see and understand? And here's David's response. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. But I was thinking about what are some signs of a sincere heart? How do we really know? 
And two things came to mind. First off is you're submitted to authority. Not because you like it, not because you want to go through the process, but you truly want to be whole and you want to be well. I've heard people say that time heals. Time doesn't heal anything. It's what you do with time that heals or not. And when you choose to walk in submission to authority, healing will come. When people are saying, I'm free, I just say, I'm wait, we'll see, we'll see. We're gonna give you the process. We're gonna walk with you through this, but time will reveal the change of heart or not. And then secondly, the next sign is that you choose to begin to be in the right places with the good people. You choose to change your surroundings. You choose to be in a different spot. You choose to walk it out in places that's going to help you not hurt you. For Nathan, he gave him the opportunity to repent, to come back under authority, and he did. And immediately he was in a good place. Pastor Hetty this week, I asked him a question because I knew he'd been going through, he's our pastor at Guthrie location. I asked him about some situations in his life. How are you doing? He's been under attack uh, physically, his family, emotionally, just a lot of stuff going on. Even in the church, he said, Bishop, he calls me Bishop. He said, Bishop, I'm, I'm in a good place. Now, I knew that he is struggling deeply, but I knew what he meant there. He said, all hell breaks loose. Me and God are good, and I'm all right. I want you to hear me on that, because I, I'm around too many Christians that circumstances of life are getting them a little wad, and they're just like in a little mess. And I'm like, what's going on? And they're emotionally riding up and down because of what somebody said or because of circumstances or because of their health. And let me tell you something. I'm not downplaying that, but I'm just saying this, that my God is bigger than your circumstances. My God is greater than what you're going through. And I've also seen other Christians that all oh, hell's breaking loose and they're staring a death sentence in the face. And I'll look at them and say, how are you doing? And I see an inner streak that a courage that says, oh, pastor, me and God are good. And God's got this. And no matter what the outcome, I win. My God is greater than what I am going through. Someone, someone preach with me. My God is greater. Which brings me to the second thing my grandma said. She said, not only is the sincerity of heart she liked, but also she liked Psalms 51 because David sought after God. Why do we sin? Because we love our sin more than we love God. And every one of us fall into that trap. The key is catching quickly, repenting, and walking away from that. David would say, I was hopeless without God. I was in desperate need of God. David was not ashamed of his emotions. He would cry. He would pin stuff that most men would say, why aren't you writing that stuff? He was the one that was the first one up at the front row raising hands and going after Jesus. He was the one that danced before the Lord with all of his might. And even his own wife ridiculed him and made fun of him. But he would say, oh, I will make myself even more undignified. I will do whatever it takes to bring glory and praise to my God. I don't care about what they think. I care about what he thinks. It's not about them. It's about him. I will go after him with everything that I have. Which brings me to the question, where is your intimacy level with God? And I want to put 10 numbers on the screen. Number one is the lowest and the coldest. Number 10 is the hottest. And I want you 
to rate yourself and your intimacy level with God. Either writing it down or put it in your head, whatever. But here, before you, before you make the decision, I do not want you to make the decision based upon your good intentions, but actual reality. I, I want you to invite a search of the Holy Spirit to say, where am I at, God? Where am I? Where am I? And as you're thinking about that and asking God to show you, I want you to consider this. Whenever I was in my late 20s, early 30s, I was with some other leaders, all of them older than me, had accomplished a lot more than me. And we took this test where you each, you'd individually go through and you would circle and then you would get a final grade at the end. When we finished up, my leadership capacity on paper was better than all the other men in the room. And many of these men had been doing leadership a lot longer than me and had a whole lot more proof of great leadership. And I was thinking, man, I'm a pretty good leader. You know, life has a way of humbling you quickly, though. I started something called a church. Then we begin to gradually build and things begin to happen. So we get staff together. After we started having some staff, I decided I'm going to do the same test that I gave, that I got years ago. I took that test again. My score went down. And here's the amazing thing. When we looked at all the staff, every one of the staff, I think we had about seven or eight at that time, were higher than me. They were younger than me, less experienced than me, but yet rated higher than me. All of a sudden it clicked and I started realizing that no, what happens is the more that you lead and the more you succeed in, the more you realize how much you need to grow as a leader. That the more that you begin to move up the ladder, the more you realize that you need help where you are. And you know what I've also found out? When you begin to look at your intimacy level with God, that oftentimes the closer you get to God, the more you realize how far you still need to go to God. Come on, the more God begins to do in your life and you surrender to Him, and the more you grow in red hot passion for Him and worship to Him, the more you realize I need God more than ever before. Some of us think we're doing good, but God's saying, no, 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 you need to realize the closer you get, the more you're gonna realize that you need Him more than anything else in your life. I want you to stand to your feet. I want our prayer team to begin to move. They're gonna be at the front. They're gonna be at different locations around the room. And here's the thing. If you're hungry for God, come and be under authority right now. Let somebody lay hands on you and pray for you. If you need wisdom and direction, don't do it in isolation to yourself. Come and say, I need direction and I need wisdom. If you need a fresh anointing, a fresh empowerment, don't set back there, come forward. You need healing in your body, don't sit there. My God is a healing God. You discouraged, my God is a God who gives hope to the discouraged. You in a bad place, come. Begin to pray right now so that God will begin to put you in a good place. Begin to move now. Don't begin to wait. Right now, respond. If you know somebody who is in need, don't sit back and miss the opportunity to agree with somebody. Come, let God begin to work on behalf of people that aren't even here because of your prayers that are happening in this place. Father God, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit, 
have your way. Move among us. Transform lives. Do a deep work in people. And God, we absolutely need you because we cannot do anything apart from you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Be it done. Amen. Begin to respond.